So Sarah, I couldn't come this year, but this weekend was Victoria 70.3, right? It's like right outside your house, like your backyard. It is basically in my backyard. We missed you, Kelly. I know, I know. It's so sad. Um, But you guys did all these live videos. So it was like I was there, basically. Yeah. So I decided since it was our home race, we should probably go out and do some live coverage. I didn't go all out like we would, like if we're traveling to Texas and we record an intro and we record ads for the sponsors and all of that stuff. This was just sort of like, okay, I'll go to the race site on Saturday. I'll grab a few pros that I know, do some interviews. So it was really fun. I have to say doing the live with Ashley is actually one of the funnest things in my life. Oh my God. Talking to me every week isn't the funnest thing in your life. Mm, It's a close story. I mean, (laughs) the live is a close second to talking to you every week. (laughs) But I liked, you guys had some, the video with Mel McQuaid was pretty funny. Um, The one with Lindsay was good. And then you also had Rachel who ended up winning. Yeah. So Rachel, interestingly, it was such a gutsy race for Rachel. So yes, the pre-interviews were good and they are on our Facebook page and you guys should watch them. Listeners should watch them because, and Mel McQuaid was quite funny about not retiring. She's 45 now and people keep asking her when she's going to retire and she was just kind of pissed off about it and she told us about it. So (laughs) that was funny. Um, But yeah, Rachel, we sat down ahead of the race, got her take on where she's at um, and she, oh my gosh, it was so cool. So, so Jen Annett had been leading the race for, I don't know, from about three quarters through the bike when she overtook the swim leader, Jen Spilden. Oh yeah. Jen Spildener. Yeah. 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 And so, and so Jen was leading and Jen Annett was leading and then Rachel, like we were watching on the tracker. Right. And then Rachel just overtook her with three K's to go. And in the video, like on our live um, coverage on the run, you can see Rachel's face. I think I posted a picture on our Instagram and it was just this like perfect, like she perfectly encaptured, like she was clearly in so much pain, but she was so happy to be winning. It was just this really emotional moment for her. So, um, we were all super stoked for her. It was really fun to watch. I feel like watching races is always interesting from like a different perspective. I feel like I learned things. I'm like, Oh, that's how that is. Cause when you're in it, all you see is your little bubble around you. You don't notice like anything. Um, That's true. So do you feel like you, what what was different about spectating it as opposed to racing? Interesting question. Um, I think like, I think one thing that I note when I'm spectating is that, you know, when you're in the race and you think like, especially if you're having a bad race, like you just think it's the worst thing ever. Right. And right? everyone can tell. And this is right. terrible. Like it's written on your forehead. Right. Yeah. Right. Everyone knows you're having a terrible race. Right. But, but we don't like <laughs> as spectators, you know, it's like you can, people come off the bike, they're coming through. Like all we, all you know, all the spectators know is if someone is smiling and looks good and has a good attitude or if you're grumpy. Like (laughs) that's really, that's really all that we know. I don't know internally like whether your race is matching up to your expectations or whatever. Um, So that's always really interesting as a, you know, as an outside perspective that even when, like even when you're not having the race you maybe want, um, like smiling and waving at the fans, you know, cause they don't care. It's only you that's judging yourself. No, some people are judging. Let's be real. The internet is judging. They're judging you. Maybe later, maybe later after, but you asked me about spectating. True. Like, like, I do feel like, like last year, like I raced to Victoria last year, uh, sick. And I do remember coming through on the loop of the run and you doing this thing where you were like, good job. 
Just hang tough, Kelly. Just hang tough. Well, I knew you were <laughs> sick, but I knew you were sick. <laughs> I had insider information right. there. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's like my way of letting you know that I'm uh, like, it's I okay. know that you could do better, but you're sick and you're doing a good job. So <laughs> That's what you that were was, saying? Okay. That's what I was trying to come across. The other thing I love this weekend is how many people came up to us who recognize like the Live Feisty brand. People bought t-shirts and mugs from us and people came up and told me that they like our podcast. So I was very grateful for that. So what else are we going to talk about today, Sarah? Okay, coming up on the show, we're going to talk about championship series and does triathlon have too many of them? And do easy courses make the sport more appealing? Should pros be working for free? The results from our poll, I know you guys are all waiting for this, the results from our poll on the use of the word box, and also birthdays, do we care? Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as, strong is the new skinny, and I can, I will, end of story. You can support the podcast and get 20% off with the code RIDING at AskKickerInc, Inc with a K, dot com. If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at CraveJerky.com. That is Crave with a K. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. This time, like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field. It's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. Okay, so Kelly, in the newsletter, you talked about all the kind of different qualification series that are coming out after we had the challenge championship. Yeah, the weekend? challenge championship was this weekend. Um, and then here locally, like in the Bay Area, the big race was Al- Escape from Alcatraz, um, which has been, I mean, that race has been going on for like 35 years, right? But they also have this whole series now to qualify and are kind of calling Alcatraz like the championship race of their series of races, um, that kind of changed a little bit after it got bought a couple years ago. So there's all these series now, like challenge, you can do a challenge race, qualify to their championship in Slovakia? Slovenia? Yeah, it was Slovakia. Okay. And Alcatraz, since it got bought by IMG, they bought up a bunch of other smaller races and you can do their smaller races to qualify to the big race to Alcatraz. Um, Tough Man has like a championship. Even like last week we talked about Iron Man buying those mountain bike races to use as qualifying races to their like championship at Cape Epic in South Africa. So like everybody thinks like this is going to buy, like this is a way to get people to buy in like, Oh, they'll do our races if they can qualify to our bigger special race. But like we can't do, we, we can't do all of these, right? Like this doesn't seem like a great plan. I don't know. Some of them are not going to succeed basically. Right. I'd be curious to know from, because, because I've raced for a pro as a pro so long that I don't really have great, take on like the age group perspective on this but I'd be super curious to know from our listeners whether that is appealing to kind of if it's not Kona and not 70.3 world champs if qualifying for 
a series is motivating for people? I'd love to know. Because I actually think from the pro perspective, it could help save the pros. Like right now, we've talked about before how the pro race is kind of on the decline. There's not as much money out there. Um, So if these races create prize purses for the pros that reflect like a championship status, then it could possibly help kind of help save our pros no i think it's like for sure could and i was really excited about alcatraz's like they have a pro series and with money behind it um which they announced like a couple years ago and that's very like not common in short course racing anymore but if we spread out all of these series like it spreads the pros really thin is what i'm trying to say like if you have to race all these races to qualify for this other race then you have to race all these races to qualify for this other race it uh like the talent just gets spread across multiple brands and so it just seems like to me i am super on board with there being alternative qualification series and championships to coda but i can't imagine there's going to be more than two that are successful more than one um yeah i mean mean, yeah, yeah go ahead well i feel like from an age group perspective it's actually like more appealing because you could do one one year, you could do another another year. It's like just something, right? It's like, it's just something to add. Like there used to be the US Open in Dallas that you could qualify to. I did that as an age grouper. And you like won a spot and they like, and that was really fun one year. You could qualify to national, you know what I mean? Like it just adds goals and like different things to try. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I think, I mean, I'd love to see a, a race series that could challenge Kona and Iron Man because like we talked about last week, like we don't love a monopoly and we do have a world championships that's not run by a federation in long course triathlon. And it's a problem for a variety a of reasons. So it would be nice to see a legitimate competitor, whether that's challenge or whether it's the ITU. But uh, I think it's pretty hard to build up to what Kona currently has. No shit. Like, <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. thought, people. Race directors. What if they made... Okay, this is about to transition topics, but I'm also brainstorming here. What if, in order to attract more people, they made Kona easier? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, you brought that up in the newsletter about... Was it the New York Triathlon? It took a a hill out of the run course? It took a bunch of the hills out. Yeah. I mean, I always love it when triathlon makes like mainstream news and is in the New York Times because it's always like the saddest story. It's like that woman who cheated at Canada last year and skipped laps of the run. That oh, was yeah. like the one triathlon story in the New York Times. Or there was one story in the Wall Street Journal about how much money amateurs spend to go to Kona. That was like the one time triathlon makes makes the, the news. news. Yeah. yeah. But this story was about New York triathlon's numbers have dropped slightly. And so they took out a bunch of the hills on the run and like changed the course thinking that'll attract more people. I'm not convinced Kelly. I know, but everybody does this, right? Like how many times have we had course changes that are like, and they always call it PR friendly, right? They're always like spectator friendly, fast PR course. Um, it happens over and over again. Over and over again. It does. And Iron Man's been doing it a lot with their 70.3s and Iron Man's. Um, I think that I, I do think it creates a market for someone else to have alternatives, like for people to own, I don't know, like those hard uh, race series, let's say a race series that's known to be super hard and tough. 
I feel right. like there's a space for that now because everybody else is just flattening their courses and making it easier. Yeah, it's true. You could do a whole series of like, we're doing crazy things. I'm not even convinced though that making the courses easier actually drives up your numbers. Like even if you just address that small part of this like question, I don't think it does. Like it might in a short, like one year, like, oh, you might get more beginners because they'll be like, oh, I can, like this sounds manageable. But I think you'll be back down to your, like your numbers might grow up one year or two years, but then they'll go back down because like, there's no reason to keep doing it. Right. Like the, you've. Yeah. You've I'd be interested to know whether it's worked because I know Iron Man's been doing it for a number of years, whether it has worked for them. I'd love to see numbers on that. And, and I think you're right that it might not work in the long term. that people, it's a bit like how I feel about the, the start, like the mass start people who are competitive in the sport, they want the mass start partially because it's hard. It's part of the sport. It's part of what's hard about it, right? So it's like, if you take those, all the things that are hard away and make it just easier for everybody, float around a flat bike course, you know, it takes part of the, they used to call Ironman the average person's Everest. Well, it's not the average person's Everest if you don't even have a hill. (laughs) It's just like a, a large climb, a small Small it hill. Like a, <laughs> a slight 1% incline from time to time. Yeah, it's not good enough. You're like, no. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I do, obviously, this is like the larger, the larger question in triathlon. What are we going to do about the declining numbers? Um, and there's certainly a huge segment of the triathlon world that thinks like we just need to make everything more accessible. They always say accessible which is like a weird code word because like I'm for accessibility, but what they mean is easier. And you're like, that's not accessible. That's just easier. It's just easier. Yeah. yeah. And I think like it's got to be a both and thing, right? right? Like you have to have some, like you could have a local sprint race that is quote unquote accessible, that is flat and really friendly for people, for first timers. Right. And then in the same town, have a really hard Olympic distance race for the people who look for that next level of challenge. I f- it has to be both and, I think. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. I also think New York City Triathlon still gets like over 3,000 people. So <laughs> I don't They're think it's okay. struggling that much. <laughs> right. Right. The other thing I talked about in the newsletter, um, which I think you have a lot of thoughts on, is this whole concept of pros. Like the pros, and I specifically mentioned Eric... Lagerstrom's uh, tweet about how pros should never work for free, right? Like you're devaluing yourself, you're devaluing your work. Why is your sponsor ever going to pay you a contract if you're just do it for free? And you're devaluing other people's work, right? Like if everyone else will work for free, that makes it hard for me to go and get a contract. And I totally get his point. And I'm not trying to call him out specifically because this is a ongoing argument. There's like, I feel like Brett Sutton's always, always yelling about pros need to be more professional. This is like an ongoing thing you hear about. Like the pros need to be more professional. They need to stop working for free. They need to like, you know, whatever. I don't even know what more professional means. They need to <laughs> be more professional. Um, well, I think some means. of the more professional stuff is to behave like a professional sports person. Which right? involves what exactly? Then every time I think about that, I try to think, what does that mean? What am, what am I supposed to be doing? differently yeah, I don't really know I think sometimes <laughs> it's just like being on time for stuff or warming up yeah. properly for sessions like there's a whole there's a full gamut of things that's including true how you respond to your sponsors um but I, I think it's okay. are pretty terrible about like being on time and returning phone calls that is true you all need to 
step up your game there. Like, right. FYI. So as media people, you've been in it a lot longer than I have, but I, I know that there are some pros who are going to respond right away if I email them to do an interview and some pros who aren't. And like, guess who's going to get more interviews? It's true. It drives me a little insane if it's like hard to find the contact information for a triathlete. Like, come on, come on, guys. Yeah. Side point. True. But you don't like you have thoughts about this, this professionalism yeah. work for free debate. Well, just about the work for free piece. Okay. Um, partially because if you are if you're a new athlete and you're trying to find sponsors and you get a product sponsor or a sponsor that gives you a discount code, right? Then I think then it's it's a it would be a smart idea, I would think, to show that sponsor your value. Right. So like here's what I'm gonna do for you on social media, here's how I'm gonna promote your product, etc. within that first year. Because my experience has always been that what starts with with my main sponsorship for my career was Zoot. And it started with them sending me a box of stuff, right? Like right. in the mail. That was it the first year. And, you know, I think if you show your value, it, and part of that is race results, right? Like that's a piece of the puzzle. But also if you're showing now, it's the whole social media world. It's different than when I was, it's different than when it's I was starting when you were kid, Right. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the question. How, if your Zoot sends you a box, you're like doing, like showing your value to them. Why would they put you on contract when they're getting this anyway? Right. Because there comes a point at which my value becomes like a marketplace value. Mm. So if they, like the second year, I think first year I got a box. Second year, I think I got a certain quota of kit, which was a lot more, multiple boxes. <laughs> right. But if I, you know, since during that year I wrote, you know, I wrote all these blogs, I raced fairly well, had some Ironman podiums, and they know as well that there's going to be some other company that's going to send me multiple boxes of kit, right? So you're, you're kind of then working in the, in the marketplace that you, that you live in, kind of. So you're showing, you're not just showing them what your value is, but then you've built up all of that for potentially some other sponsor. If your sponsor, like if your sponsor doesn't want to be loyal to you after you've done a lot of work for them or increase your sponsorship, um, then you can look elsewhere too, right? And that value that you've added for them is is largely going to be visible because it's mostly going to be online, right? So, <laughs> Well, maybe it's in person, Sarah. I actually am increasingly convinced that all this social media, all this online what is the word I'm looking for when people influencer bullshit is bullshit. And that a lot of what of the real value you give is like person to person in a race at the pool, like talking to people side point. That's true. But also, yeah. And so to, to add to that point, I would say like do your social media stuff, but also have a beer with your sponsor at the race. If they're there, like, you know what I mean? Those kind of true. things, those kind of person to person thing count. So my experience then with Zoot was that I got, I worked my way all the way up to having a paycheck. And that's because, you know, there's a sense of like some companies have more sense of loyalty than others. So I don't think it stands to reason that if you do the work for free, that they're not going to give you they're not going to give you something more than I do get the overall point though. And on to this degree, I like do agree with, with Eric and like with the argument generally that as a collective, the pros, like it would be better for us all to have a union and to all like agree on a minimum salary, right? Like we are devaluing each other. Um, which you see a lot in media, like in, like I work writing, right? And this is a debate we have over and over, like, should you work for free? And you like, as an individual, I totally respect why someone might make that choice. But on the aggregate, like there's constant debates about like whether or not we should have some kind of standard where like 
no, no one will ever, you know, no writers of certain like value, you know, we'll all agree not to work for free for these publications. Right. Cause then they, if they can't get any of us, they will have to pay all of us. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. I, I would, I think I would say take both of our points. So like create a sliding scale of some kind. Like if you're a first year pro and you're working for free and you're trying to, but if you're, you're trying to make your way up, right. Then you can work, you can work for less because you have less value effectively in the marketplace. But then if you're like, if there's always someone to replace you and it's on the companies too, right. Like if your if your company strategy is just to get like the, you know, to get the entry level pros or the high level age groupers just to do a bunch of stuff for free. And then you change them over every year. I mean, that's that doesn't seem like a very ethical it also, strategy. It doesn't seem like it also doesn't seem like a great strategy. I mean, side point, like I don't know that I'm super convinced by these elite amateurs that are like, you know, they're they're getting twenty percent off, and there's just so many of them, and it seems like they change what they're into every year. And like this year, they're really excited about X wheel, and last year they were so excited about this other wheel, and I like don't care anymore, you know? Right, and that's what happened. So I think there's a I think there is a place for, okay, maybe in your first year, it's okay to work for free, but you should be looking for more. If you're doing well at your job, like you should be improving if right? You're, if you're a professional right. athlete and you should be getting better at, you know, doing whatever those things are, the social media, the blogging, the video creation, whatever you do. Whatever you do. But you should always pick up phone calls, guys. 100%. Oh, yeah. You if should tell your, I, I want to interview you. You need to respond. Um I, uh, I, people did respond mm-hmm. to sure our did. call out about, about the box debate. <laughs> the, the ongoing box the debate. The ongoing box debate. Okay. So we asked people when they hear the word box, what they think of. And I don't know, Sarah, we didn't give them the option of, you know, thinking of a box, like an actual, like an actual cardboard box, box. that yeah. may have been an oversight in the creation <laughs> of the tweet, but it was more funny that way. Uh, and I feel like half the people were like, "Oh yeah, vagina." Yeah, fifty-three percent. Did we get a take on how old they are or where they live? Well, we heard from some, so I'm gonna just call out a couple people here. So Sam, age twenty-six, not hmm. old, from hmm. Minnesota. We had Megan, age twenty-five, also from the Midwest, like you, Kelly. And then we had Pam from California, who is over 40, and Jen from D.C., who's 43. So, Because um, I was going to say, I've, I've come around. I think this is an old people thing. I think the term, what I'll, where I'll agree with you there is I think the term has sort of come <laughs> and gone. Like, I, I think we're keeping it alive, like, right now, only us people. personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it's more just... The, that I think most people, I still think most people have kind of heard, because I've never actually heard someone say it. I just know that somehow. I don't even know. You just like know it. I, because my husband was also like, what are you talking about? I've like, never heard that. That's not a word that people use for vagina. And I was like, that's what I said. So <laughs> I don't know. You and Steve have been living under a rock or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe it's just like not a thing in the Bay Area. No, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's it would be so if this was if if roles were reversed here and there was something I hadn't heard of, right? I, I would, would tell you it's because like, you're old. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be like, no, it's because I'm clueless. Like there's like a bubble in my head, and it's like so. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, there was one thing. Okay, this through this whole through the weeks over which we've talked about this every week and drawn it out. 
I feel like there's one thing we haven't talked about, which needs to be talked about, is that oh, like actually the term is mildly offensive. Yeah, because it's a box for the thing that really matters. Here, right. right? Like, <laughs> like that's it's the like a vessel. Like you're talking about <laughs> vagina as a vessel. Like, yeah, it's a lot more than that. You have seen. I, now I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, you have seen the Justin Timberlake like dick in a box, right? No, I'm, okay. I'm too old for that. Tell well, that's me. like an SNL. Like, Google this, Sarah. Everybody else is now going to respond and be like, Sarah, how have you never seen that? It was an <laughs> SNL. And now that you're now, I'm like, huh? Maybe, maybe they took that from a, from the actual term. But anyway, it's a whole joke parody song because he gives her a present, his dick in a box. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for that. Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. Canada. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. Um, The other thing that made me laugh this morning is that I was thinking like after I went to CrossFit, right? Because you're trying to get super good at CrossFit. Right. Because now I'm a CrossFitter after like going five times or something. So, but it made me think like, do, do people use this in a sentence? Like the, in terms of using box for the CrossFit gym. So like, do you end up with some funny sentences? Like, I like my box. (laughs) Yeah, because nobody it. thinks of it as vagina <laughs> because you're like, I'm go- I think most people say gym, but yeah, you say box. I was watching the CrossFit games this weekend because I do. And yeah, they said box and nobody was weird about it, Sarah. Well, <laughs> I'm bringing it back because my, my box is a very friendly place. Kelly. Good. I like it there. Okay, so coming up after the credits, we're going to talk about birthdays and why we care or not. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at Ass Kicker Inc., Inc. with a K, dot com, and Crave Jerky, crave with a k.com if you don't already follow us on all the social medias at if we were riding on instagram facebook and twitter and make sure you subscribe to our feed on itunes or stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts if we were riding is hosted by kelly o'mara and me sarah gross our fabulous editor is aaron hamilton time my time none of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time you better get ready to race in the time to do this show you what the truth is i step on the field it's time to get real and i'm feeling so ruthless so kelly happy birthday thanks it's very exciting well i guess when this airs i will actually have been two days ago Right, we're recording this on Wednesday, and today is <laughs> Kelly's birthday. For anyone who didn't know, I, but what I want to know is, do you care about birthdays? Like, how do you celebrate? Is this important to you? That's an interesting question. Yes, I. We used to have birthday month. I feel like like it was a whole thing. Um, but I feel like a few years ago, you know, you realized you could just do whatever you wanted and buy the thing you want when you want it. So right. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Um, so that kind of that like negates the whole like I want a present, but I do feel like people. I feel like it's important, like 
not birthdays, but like, you know, to acknowledge the other person. Like I find it really sad when people just like buy presents for someone because they like feel like they have to buy a present. Right. They're like, oh, like I bought this random fucking piece of shit. Right. But like, <laughs> I feel like it's important to be like, oh, I thought about you and I thought this was something you would like. Right. Like the thinking about the person and doing a thing for them is like the. The key yeah. here. Yeah. OK. I can see that. You're I like, that. Okay. I'm just like, I don't know. I like other people's birthdays. I'm not, a, I'm just not a big birthday person. Like I just really? don't care if someone forgets my birthday. I just don't care. Oh yeah. I don't care if someone forgets, but I do feel like you have to go like all out on, I, I so I eat out a lot. Shocking. And so you go all out on a big meal and you're like, oh, I'm going to have a whole bottle of wine. It's my birthday. So yeah. Okay. That's good. Is that yeah. what you're doing tonight? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go out. Funny story about the, it's my birthday. Um, in college, my husband's dorm was across from the bar everyone went to when they were 21 and routinely every night some girl would be outside knocking over the newspaper stand getting kicked out and yelling it's my birthday you can't <laughs> kick me out <laughs> so it's a good reminder that even if you think it's like a super big deal <laughs> it's someone's birthday every day well like the other week we took rosalie to red robin which is this do you I know have what Red, Red Robin is. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if you had them in the U.S. So it's kind of embarrassing for me that we were actually dining in this place. But anyway, there we were. And like, if you think you're special, there's like five people having birthdays around you. So it's like yeah. it's a constant thing of people coming out and clapping and singing and people standing on chairs. So it's everybody's birthday every it's day. It's everybody's birthday someday. Um, but I, I mean, most importantly, I've been sick for like the last week. I'm not sick anymore. Cross your fingers. I'm going to go out and eat. I'm going to get off the couch. It's going to be exciting. Because you know what I did all weekend, Sarah? I laid on the couch and like watched TV and like moaned and complained. And I watched the CrossFit regionals. I hear you have a new goal. Yes. And I have decided post-triathlon, I think if I dedicate myself like a year, I can make a CrossFit regionals. And then I can like compete in an arena and everyone's going to cheer for me. And I'm going to totally win the first event, this like the endurance event. And then I'm going to be in like the really competitive heat and I'm going to come in dead last. And it's going to be awesome. That's <laughs> so. amazing. So by which birthday are you going to do this? Do you think? Well, it depends on how many years I have left of triathlon, which is like big questions here, Sarah. You're really like diving into my issues okay. right now. <laughs> Sorry. We'll circle back on that one. Okay. We'll circle back. 